of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Anna Chizinski, James Harkin, and Alex Bell. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, James. My fact this week is that scientists at MIT have invented an artificial intelligence that can see into the future, but it can only tell two seconds into the future. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Totally useless. What's it reported back? I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) So this is is really cool. So what they did was they got this um, algorithm to watch um, TV shows like The Office and The Big Bang Theory. Okay, and it watched what people did when they met each other. So did you go in for a hug or a kiss or a handshake or a high five? And then when you showed them a picture of two people coming near each other, it could work out what they were going to do, whether they were going to high five, whether they were going to hug, whether they were going to kiss or whatever. So that's basically as far as this has gone so far. Mm. Still pretty good for uh, an AI. Yeah, and I'm surprised it was able to do this based on The Office and The Big Bang Theory, both of which are about totally socially inept people. Yeah. Who I wouldn't have thought give those correct <laughs> cues. the best source material to use for an AI. <laughs> Maybe it true. made the AI feel more comfortable watching something closer to their kind of robotic way. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Oh, okay, we're not so different, you and us humans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And also, I think that is quite a useful thing because how many times have you gone in for a hug to someone and they tried to high five you and slap you in the face, or mm. you yeah, know, or is... the the kiss slash um, handshake thing is pretty awkward at times. Well, in the yeah. article, it said that the AI could only get it right forty three percent of the time, correct, which yeah. I was reading wasn't very high. But then I realised I get it right about maybe two percent of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, <laughs> normal humans get it right seventy one percent of the time. Yeah. But uh, obviously, that doesn't apply to you. Yeah. The thing but... is, Alex goes in for the kiss every single time. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and it will get better, won't it? Because it'll keep on watching. Programs. It'll get better. And 43% of the time versus 71% of the time is not that bad, considering all they've done is got it to watch these two things. Yeah. Whereas most humans have had a lot of social interaction to get to where we are, which is still not that good. The thing it might do in hospitals, if it gets really good, is anticipate a couple of seconds in advance whether someone, for instance, is about to fall over, like an old person oh. on the way to the loo, and then swoop in and catch them. Maybe they should show him lots of episodes of Miranda where she, <laughs> <laughs> where she falls down all the time yeah. it's like intermediate level you can see it coming a mile off if Never it watched s- Miranda it would try to save you every step you took yeah <laughs> Yeah, if you if you saw a Mr. Bean episode, it'd probably either explode or not let you out the house if it was a robot. <laughs> Check this out. There's another AI robotic thing which plays uh, scissors, paper, rock and beats humans 100% of the time. <laughs> no, it yeah? doesn't. 100, yeah. It has 100%. It breaks the rules, though. This makes me so angry, this machine. It, it doesn't was, break it, the rules. Yeah, it does. It waits to see what you're doing and then very quickly... Yeah. No, 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 no. No, that's not quite right because it, it's, <laughs> it, it technically is doing that. But if you're a good game player as well, you would be looking at someone's hand to monitor where you think they're going to go. So it has a camera on it which is able to work out hand movements of people and what most likely hand shape they're about to take. But it can make a split-second decision so that it's at the same time 
It said microsecond afterwards because it's seen the way your hand is moving, so it's decided but a microsecond afterwards. Is it not afterwards. indistinguable to humans? We would of be course, but it, it is, is cheating. But that's cheating. That's not cheating. Can, it is because rock, paper, scissors is fundamentally a game of chance. You're supposed, you're, it's like a coin toss. You're supposed to try and it, you use it to decide things. That I, where no, but no, 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 because yeah. all it's doing is it's calling your tell. It's seeing the hand shape that you're bringing. That Except is not cheating. That, uh, it is. 100% of the time becomes <laughs> cheating because you can work out what's more or less likely. 100% mean but it's, it's cracked it. It knows how to win a game. It's done the Possible. This is war. Wait, guys. what is James saying? What do you think? Yeah, do you know how we should decide it? It, <laughs> <laughs> it does look like you're about to high five Dan, but I'm not sure that that's what's going to happen. <laughs> so a robot was arrested recently. Was it? Um, in what September for? for taking part in a political rally. Seems a bit dodgy. This was in Russia. And this is actually a robot that I think might have come up before. You guys might have heard about. It's Promobot. And it's the oh, one yeah. that escaped from its <laughs> enclosure twice in, I think, about July this year. Oh, yeah. But didn't we didn't we work out that that was actually... The, the clues in the name, promo. Yeah, is yeah, the promo clues bot. in the name. But then it did it again, and then the mechanics at Promobot said that they were trying to reprogram it to stop it escaping. Oh, so okay. they're just really sticking to their story. Right. Um, but now it's taken part in a political rally because this robot supported parliamentary candidate Valerie Kalachev. Uh, so he went to Moscow and started collecting people's views on politics, asking them what they thought. Well, again, it escaped yeah. it by itself. <laughs> and we're just going around interviewing people. I believe it might have been programmed to do this <laughs> part. a dream to be a political correspondent. <laughs> After it was arrested did it escape from prison it probably has done now yeah <laughs> <laughs> they did put handcuffs on it apparently did they? The poli- they must have been like idiots those policemen <laughs> handcuffing a robot oh, uh, that would have been a fun moment of an otherwise probably depressing arresting yeah. situation it's one of the highlights your of day, your career honey? i had to like handcuff you know 25 people at a political protest but i did handcuff a robot <laughs> and that actually really made me smile <laughs> This is just one bit of delight. You're right. Um, Also in robot news, uh, they uh, have set this year in July a new uh, dancing robot Guinness World Record. Is it? A thousand and seven robots danced together for a minute and that was what was needed and uh so that it was synchronized you can see a video online it's really cool it was in china and it was a um it was at a Qingdao beer festival so it was i guess they were trying to just get headlines for it but you can see all these tiny little robots the kinds that you would buy in a shop um that make sort of small movements they're all doing a dance and some fall over so they're discounted (laughs) but they're still (laughs) dancing while they're top i wonder if it count you know those like flower and when you play music they just kind of dance to the music do you remember them from oh, the 90s? Yes. 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 If you put 1,050 of those down, would that be able to technically beat the record? I think they're effectively, that's the robots effectively that they used Is anyway. Yeah. They were so built to dance. They can't do anything else. Yeah. So they put uh, down 1,040, oh. but uh, they lost 33. Um, I have danced with a robot. You have, haven't you? You have Asimov, right? Asimov. Sorry, Asimov. No, yeah, we had um, Asimov who was built by Honda, I think, was he? And he came on QI and we, during the warm-up, I did a little dance with him. And he kind of just follows your dance patterns, I think. I think that's how it worked. I know a a thing about Asimov, which a guest on our show from quite a few episodes ago, Levin Skyra, Belgian comedian and scientist, he was telling me that Asimo, they've programmed him to speak something like, I don't know, let's say 30 languages, it might be less, so that whenever they bring him over to different countries for conferences, he's able to do a lecture in their language. But he has one special setting for when he's in Italy, which is that they've programmed his arms to gesticulate that's so that great. when he's talking, wow. it feels more, because that's how in Italy they feel more humanized uh, than the robot standing still. That's quite cool, that isn't is it? That is really good. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. 
And he's also watched episodes of The Office, so he can do the David Brent dance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, here's something amazing about telling the future. Okay. Um, There was a study done by a US intelligence um, group called the Good Judgment Project. And what they did is they got a load of people, about more than 2,000 people, and they started asking them things about world events, like will Robert Mugabe still be the head of Zimbabwe uh, in two years' time or whatever, like a load of different things. And a load of people made guesses, and eventually they siphoned off the top 2% who were doing the best, and then they put them in a separate group and compared them to everyone else and found that that group was four times more accurate than anyone else. And they're saying that this proves that in humans there is a thing called super forecasters and these are people who are better than normal humans at foreseeing the future wow wow and are they all on brighton pier with a crystal ball charging people 10 pounds to read their fortune (laughs) (laughs) it's weird they all had different jobs like one of the best ones was a pharmacist they come from different walks of life and everything so we need to round these people up and take them all to the met office they should all be the weather forecasters if they're definitely better well god is that how you would use people who have this incredible (laughs) in my new world order (laughs) (laughs) we found a human who could see into the future take him to the met office immediately (laughs) he's warning us about a massacre and no 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 is it going to be cloudy? <laughs> <laughs> and wow. what, apparently what these guys are particularly good at is being open-minded, um, which you can kind of imagine. It means that they're, they're, they don't let their worldviews judge the, their predictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also they change their mind fast and often. So um, whenever... <laughs> What does the ne- to like correct their wrong prediction? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it is kind of like that. So they get something wrong one time, and a normal human might kind of stubbornly stick with the same similar kind of predictions. But then these people will go, well, actually, you know, I've seen that that happens in the past now, so I'm going to change my mind this time. Oh, okay. I was thinking more like football matches where they're like, okay, Manchester United is going to win this one, Liverpool score, and they're like, do you know, what? I'm actually yeah. thinking that maybe, uh... <laughs> or uh, I'm going to go for rock, no scissors. Yeah. <laughs> We need to put one of those people against the machine. (laughs) Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Alex. My fact this week is that Big Ben is falling over. We should get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) We're not that close. No, we're out of reach. (laughs) Um, What do you mean? Okay. Uh, well, technically, the Elizabeth Tower, not Big Ben, obviously, don't write in. But when they built it, when they built House of Parliament, they built it straight, obviously. And then uh, I think as soon as the building settled, it was a little bit leany. Um, and it's got leanier and leanier, as in it's been leaning over more and more away from the House of Parliament. And they've worked out that uh, if it keeps falling over at the rate it is falling over, in about 4,000 years' time, it'll be leaning as much as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Really? <laughs> How many years? Uh, 4,000. So oh. it's not like hmm. super urgent. So they are going to restore it now, aren't they? There's this big Houses of Parliament restoration going on, which is costing billions. And they're about to start working on that as well, the Elizabeth Tower. So anyone overseas who wants to see it in its pure, unscaffolded form, you better get over quick because beginning of January 2017, they're going to start scaffolding. Yeah, and it's going to be scaffolded for three years. But it's going to take six months to just put the scaffolding up. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, six months. What, and they're going to push it back the right way? No, I think they're doing basic restoration. I don't think they yeah. can do anything about that. I don't they? think so, no. But um, it's it's causing cracks in the offices next to it because it's basically pulling the wall away. So really? they're oh. going to fill those up for a start. The um, Big Ben Tower has a prison in it that they keep naughty MPs in. Does it? What are you talking <laughs> about? They have a prison room. Uh, if an MP breaches codes of conduct, they'll get put in there. 
and the last time it was used in 1880 was when uh, Charles Bradlaw, an atheist, refused to swear allegiance to Queen Victoria on the Bible. Wow. And he was kept in the prison room overnight. And no MP. so noisy. Every hour, <laughs> every quarter of an hour. It rings. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're not going to get much sleep, are you? Yeah. That'd be torture. That's yeah, like that uh, torture. <laughs> it's like how they play Barney yeah. Guantanamo. Yeah, it's, it's That'll like a... be why MPs behave so well these days. It's because yeah. they're <laughs> terrified of the noise. <laughs> um, it used to make a different sound, didn't it? When it was originally built, uh, it chimed differently. So it was built in May it? 1859. It didn't go bong. No, so it was made and the uh, thing that crashes into the bell to make the bonging sounds worked for a few weeks and then immediately broke the bell and the crack in the bell is still there from where it broke it and so they had to realign it, didn't they? Which for some reason took them three or four years and then they made it bang the bell on a different point of it. So Um, we'll never hear the tone that Big Ben originally made. Did you know that the Big Ben chimes have words? They have lyrics. No, they do. Yeah, they do. It's uh, it's all- half past two. <laughs> it's quarter to nine. No. <laughs> it's all through this hour, Lord be my guide, and by thy power, no foot shall slide. Hang on, but it doesn't say that. I've never heard those words no. broadcasting no, to London. Often performed. No, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Here's another one. Play up Pompey. The Portsmouth fans sing, play up Pompey, Pompey play up. Like that. Oh, what really? is that Same tune. Just play up as in play better. So oh, Pompey. Pompey. Oh, Pompey is a nickname for Portsmouth FC. Got it. Did you know though, that you can hear Big Ben chime before it chimes? Oh, that's is that those future predicting people again? No, it's <laughs> not. No, it's absolutely <laughs> not. Because that's an easy prediction. <laughs> I feel like it's going to chime in about <laughs> five seconds. <laughs> it's not. No. So uh, the BBC. For anyone who doesn't know, the BBC broadcasts the bongs live at six. I think six o'clock uh, every day. Yeah. So they have uh, they have a speaker installed inside the tower, and that has direct link to the BBC broadcasting centre. Um, so if you have a uh, F- an FM radio. And you go and stand even really close to Big Ben, so like on Westminster Bridge, for example, and you listen to the FM radio. The FM radio signals are so much faster than sound waves in the air that the sound of the bong will go into the microphone all the way to the BBC and be broadcast all the way to your radio faster than it just coming through the air at you. So if you were standing on Westminster Bridge and you listened to an FM radio and Big Ben chimed, you would hear it on the radio a split second before you would actually hear it in your other ear. That's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Well done, the radio. Doesn't get enough appreciation <laughs> in the days of the internet. <laughs> it's so impressive. <laughs> um, do you know on Wikipedia there's a big long list of um, leaning towers? Is mm-hmm. So you can just see every leaning tower in the That's world. Good. There's a nice one in Australia. This is called the Leaning Tower of Jinjin. It's purposefully built to be leaning and it's built at the gravity discovery center and they wanted to make it so that when you went to the gravity discovery center that you could replicate by climbing the top galileo's experiments on uh, the leaning tower pizza yeah so you could actually go up and you drop um you drop stuff down a chute so but the idea with galileo is that he supposedly although we don't think this happens dropped two balls from the um leaning tower of pisa and they were different weights but they landed at the same time and that was proof that things will fall at the same rate not dependent on the mass you know uh buildings in amsterdam tilt deliberately as well do they and do you know where that is no so these are buildings in amsterdam that face the canal they're many hundreds of years old and the reason they're built at a slight tilt is that they're tilting towards the canal and that's so that they could winch goods up oh, from yeah. the canal oh. to the upper windows and it's also so that uh, if it f- if houses flooded which they often did then the first couple of floors might get full of water and you need to evacuate your goods really quickly and faster than carrying them all upstairs was if you just got them onto a platform outside the window and winch those goods up to a higher mm. level and the only way you can do that without breaking the windows on the way up 
up and having it crash into the wall is to have the building lean so that you oh, can pull cool. the goods up directly. Yeah, because wow. if you go to Amsterdam, you see that they a lot of the houses have got winches on the front of them, haven't they? At the oh, very top, really? they've got a little winch. Mm. And the reason was, I think this is right, I might be wrong, but I think they came up with a law that the amount of tax you paid was dependent on the front of your house how wide that was and so people wanted really really thin houses so they paid less tax and so mm. they would be thin and long and they would be tall as well so that was fine but then um they needed to get if you need to get a sofa up to the top floor that's yeah. gonna be really tough because you're gonna have a really thin staircase, staircase going yeah. up there so, mm. and so the way they did it was to winch it all up and if you look now in amsterdam they have all these winches at the top of the houses this is so cool i feel like our facts have just married each other, yeah. met and married. <laughs> they also um, actually, in Amsterdam, they had to have a law preventing houses from being too tilted in the end because everyone <laughs> was going, you know, 45 degree angles. <laughs> actually, it's a really thin house, but it's tilted 90 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> There's a tilted structure in Yekaterinburg in Russia. It's a massive TV tower and it is the tallest abandoned structure in the world. Oh, really? Uh, they started building it. They got it really, really high. And then the Soviet Union fell. And then they were like, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. And it's still there. It unintentionally leaning? Uh, yeah, unintentional. It's very slightly leaning. And did the Soviet Union fall because it itself was, was on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was leaning too far to the left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a friend, my friend, uh, who you all know, Marina, is from uh, Yekaterinburg. And this is right near her house. And she says that everyone from there absolutely hates it and really wants it to get pulled down as soon as possible. Right. Wow. Just give it a nudge. <laughs> Sounds like. <laughs> yeah. One of the buildings that is on the list of the uh, list of leaning towers on Wikipedia is this one that is a current story. It's a news story with the San Francisco Millennium Tower. Mm. So they're still trying to deal with it. It keeps leaning further and further because it's sinking into the ground. Okay. And it was found out. It was about six years ago they started noticing. It was a lady called Pamela Buttery who was up in her room and she was it's she was on the fifty seventh floor and she was trying to play golf in her room and every time she put the ball down it just dribbled away from her towards the end of the room and she had to go and collect it and she's like why what's wrong with my floor it's a bit annoying for pamela buttery because presumably if she's got tilting floors she's going to be slipping all over them all the time but yeah so that's she falls over she'll fall face down as well <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Chazinski. My fact this week is that when aspirin tablets were first introduced, people were unsure how to take them, so one patient ended up strapping them to his head to cure a headache. <laughs> <laughs> Did it work? Uh, we actually have no reports on that. So I read this in an article in The Independent from 2005 by a journalist called David Randall, who, and I'd love to know more on it. So David, if you're listening, please get in touch. Mm. But this was a drug called Aspro, and this was devised in 1915, and it was called Aspro because the aspirin name was taken by Bayer. Um, but it was the same as aspirin. So aspirin is, it's like saying jacuzzi or um, Hoover. They Te are. Technically, yeah, but didn't um, Bayer lose the copyright, to yeah. lose the trademark to it because they literally let anyone use it and they they never sued anyone? I think they lost it in the Treaty of Versailles. Didn't yeah, they? really weird. Like, yes. Uh, well, actually, the interesting thing about Germans and aspirin is that uh, it's invention is put down to a guy called Felix Hoffman and if you look at Bayer's mm. official history of aspirin it still says that he invented it and actually it's pretty much widely accepted now since about 1999 that it was in fact created and tested by a guy called Arthur Aikengrun 
and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. And he tested it in 1899, and he wrote a paper in 1949 saying that he just told Hoffman what to do. Hoffman didn't even know what he was doing. But Aiken Grom was Jewish, and so he wasn't ever included in Is the official right? narrative. And Hoffman was this Aryan kind of guy, and it didn't come out until just over 10 years ago. And still, if you look it up, Hoffman is the person who's mainly credited as inventing it. I thought it was Hoffman. Yeah. I was just thinking by strapping um, your aspirin to your head, it might work still as a placebo. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking. I bet the person did feel better. Yeah. Might have done. Is it individual tablets or just the whole box? It doesn't matter. You could, if you believed it was going to work, you could strap an empty box to your head <laughs> and it would still work a little bit. <laughs> yeah. For me to believe it, I'd need the aspirin to be touching my skin. I would think you? I'd have to take it out of the packaging. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, yeah, as a, a placebo pharmacy as you just stare at the product behind the <laughs> counter <laughs> and just visualize them going yeah. into you. That'd be great. Seven I've got a magic pharmacy. All these things work <laughs> from a distance. You'd only have to take any of them. Yeah. You get the placebo effect and my business goes immediately out of business because I don't sell anything. Yes. You can charge them to look and you can charge uh, them yeah. more to look at branded aspirin than you charge them to look oh, at unbranded. Yeah. And that's true because branded aspirin is does better doesn't it than non-branded aspirin because yeah. people believe that it's more somehow more potent because it's wow. got a brand attached to it it what? is insane that literally the same thing in tesco costs 30p that also costs three pounds or whatever and people so often buy the three pounds and tesco even colors it so it looks like the neurofen packets oh, the packet. and yeah, then it okay. makes its aspirin red so it looks like um branded aspirin packet but it actually does work so you paying extra actually makes it work better. Yeah. There was also, a study by Braithwaite and Cooper in 1981 that showed that that was true. And I was thinking it's good that they don't make the tablets themselves silver because imagine you're being attacked by a werewolf. You accidentally mistaken your aspirin tablets with your silver bullets that you're using to kill mm. it. And then you end up just curing. That's the problem, isn't it? But instead they've made them look like children's sweets. I can't see the risk with that. <laughs> it's not but nearly as dangerous as the werewolf situation. I think we can all agree. Hey, um, I was reading in the uh, in the new QI book, the fact book. There's a fact in there that I've been thinking about for weeks, which I, I just think it's so <laughs> odd and I can't believe that it's true. 95% of people on Earth have at least one thing wrong with them. So that's quite amazing. But flip that round. That means there are 5% of people on this planet with absolutely nothing wrong with them. How is that possible? Yeah, I don't think it can be. That is impossible, right? 5% of people are like, how are you? Absolutely fine. It's impossible. Yeah. But maybe they're just people who are extremely stoic. <laughs> and so when they asked them in the uh, survey, they said, you know, what's wrong with you? They're like, fine, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> just their organs hanging out. <laughs> Collapse, can't move. Yeah. Fine, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, anyway, so sorry, just to round up, apparently it, it was the first thing that was, it was the first medicine that was sold en masse in tablet form. And so it wasn't widely accepted, even though I think people have been swallowing things for hundreds of years, it wasn't widely accepted this would be the way to swallow it. And like I say, I couldn't find any more information on this poor man who strapped one to his head. So if anyone knows him, well, is descended from he him. He died of a headache immediately afterwards. <laughs> and so was never heard of again. Aspirin is called a wonder drug by a lot of people because it's been very recently discovered that it does all these other things incredible things so a lot of people over a certain age or with blood clotting issues are told to take an aspirin a day because it stops platelets from clotting and a third of <laughs> that sounds like a really crap version of an apple a day keeps the doctor away <laughs> say it again an oh. aspirin a day keeps the platelets from clotting <laughs> yay <laughs> <laughs> Does the trick. Um, but a third of all people who are at risk from cardiac arrest or cardiac incident will not have that cardiac incident if they take an aspirin every day. Isn't that amazing? Oh, wow. Apparently, if your car is broken down... It can't fix a car down. <laughs> you just strap it to the top of the car. 
<laughs> Apparently, if you if you can't if you haven't got any jump leads on you and no one is passing by to help you and you happen to have some aspirin on you, if you put the aspirin two tablets into the battery itself, the uh, basically the sulfuric acid within the battery will mix with the aspirin and it will kickstart it back into life. I read this Absolute in a Reader's Digest reports. article. Yeah. I, I haven't tested it. I can't give first. The, the fact that the dosage is the same for cars and humans. Take two yeah, two every four hours. <laughs> keep your car running <laughs> it does say drop two aspirin tablets uh, another thing it helps to get running is um a collider like not the large hadron collider but there is another collider in illinois there were like little switches they put aspirins on and the idea is if there was a leak the water would drop down it would dissolve the aspirin and then the switches would be able to switch back and it would turn off automatically oh so it's kind of like those old like resistors or trip switches yeah. or something when the metal is supposed to basically it destroys the connection if the current's too yeah it's like strong. a fuse box kind of yeah. thing wow um, we're getting near the end of the year and uh, obviously New Year's Eve in America there's huge traditions of dropping things uh, in, in Manhattan sorry in uh, New Times York Square. Times Square it's the what they drop the, uh, ball. the ball uh, there's a place in America called uh, Myerstown in Pennsylvania where you can see a giant aspirin tablet dropped and you. <laughs> yeah and that brings us into the new year and the reason is is because the uh, the Bayer healthcare plant is there and so it's such a big part of the town and probably employs so many people who live there so yeah they just drop a giant into uh, a giant glass of water or <laughs> no, into a giant <laughs> mouth yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it real aspirin like if i went and chipped some off would that no my... no that would be so cool though but no it's no. uh it's it's fake they do it's really weird there's a list you can go on of things that are dropped at new year in america and pennsylvania has so many so in certain places you can see a, a beaver dropped a canal boat dropped indy car dropped it's like a theme that each uh, town has on their own. Wow. Yeah, but one is the aspirin. Yeah. Poor old beaver. Oh, it's a stuffed beaver. It's not a, yeah, it's not a real beaver. Well, beaver. yeah, but still, poor old beaver who got killed and yeah. stuffed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. It's in, and that's in Beaver Town. Is it? In Pennsylvania. Right. I don't I think mean, that's, that's a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the first British plans to put a human on the moon was made by Oliver Cromwell's brother-in-law. This is so cool. So yeah. this is back in the uh, 1600s. Yeah, he wouldn't have really had the means to do so, I don't think. No, he didn't at all. I mean, we. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, this is Dr. John Wilkins. This is not a. This is not in any way a nutcase of who just we happen to have found documents of some crazy machine that was built. This is a really respected clergyman, philosopher, author. Helped found the Royal Society. Uh, it was a really big deal back in the day. He's quite New a famous polymath. I think. Yeah, yeah he, he was. was also, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he was he was a big champion of uh, sort of the latest ideas about space and um, and one of the... <laughs> what were the latest ideas about space <laughs> well, in the th 17th century? Well, so, I mean, I guess Galileo had telescopes trained right. at the moon and he was very much... He wrote two books about the moon and his thoughts about what actually was going on. He thought it was a solid object and he got a lot wrong, but you always do in those, you know, when there's limited science and you're trying to break sure. ground. Although, to be clear, the moon is a solid object. <laughs> that was one of the things he did not get wrong, right? What? <laughs> <laughs> So how did he try and get to the moon? Okay, so his idea was that you could build a space chariot and he was using obviously the technology of his time and his theory was that as soon as you got 20 miles up into the air, Ooh. magnetism of Earth and gravity loses itself. So you, that's why you can stay up there. The reason he thought that is because why do clouds stay in the air? 
and he thought as high as they oh. were, that's where you no longer suffered t- to the pull of Earth's magnetism. I mean, that's pretty good logic considering the information you had available at the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, so he thought if you could just get up to that point, then you'd be able to float off into space and go to the moon and you would adjust to the air and you'd breathe the air of angels. This is where the kind of religious side comes in. Um, but it made sense that that's how angels breathed. Um, they just got used to it. And then you go to the moon and you would trade for spices and so on with the people who lived on the moon. Mm. You thought there were people that might live on the moon and we could trade with them. <laughs> and well, sorry, this very easy problem of getting the initial 20 miles up into the air, how was he surmounting that? Well, okay, so... Flying chariot. Yeah, so the flying chariot. <laughs> so it was, um, it was meant to use clockwork gears. It was gunpowder. The idea was ah. that it was going to be propelled using gunpowder. And, and springs. And well. springs, yeah. <laughs> Math. The, the Acme space chariot <laughs> <laughs> but he is a, he was a very rational sensible person and in this age that was actually kind of a perfectly reasonable thing to think and his greatest interest was making a unifying language for the world wasn't it was so it? he did lots of work on creating like what we have now esperanto which obviously we all speak he also designed the system of uh, a decimal system which the metric system was then based on and built off uh, yeah. so you know uh, his language was quite interesting um Every time you added a new letter to a word, it would change the meaning, but your meaning would be related to the previous word. So um, the word D-E, D, would be an element, but then when you put a B on the end, Deb, that would mean fire. And mm. then Deba would mean a flame. So each one was related mm. to the previous. And the whole idea of it was you would be able to see a word and knowing the basic building blocks of how his language works, you could work out pretty much what it kind of meant. So if it began with D, you would know it was in this part of, you know, semantics. And if it began with X, you would know this, or with J, you would know that. That's oh. clever. So to a much smaller extent, you can do that with English in that you know if something is, you know, it's got a diminutive on the front or a kind of like yeah. something, like it has been suffixes. But the core word is usually completely random or comes from a really random source, so you can't deduce right from the beginning sure so i suppose if you hear a word that has hydro at the start of it you know it's going to be something to do with water Mm -hmm. didn't he also say that eating wouldn't be necessary when we got to space because there's no gravity and the reason we have to eat on earth is (laughs) that the gravity pulls your food through your body and makes it fall out so you have to keep eating more (laughs) so wonderful but he was genuinely i mean i have to say uh when i saw this fact i thought wait a minute so there are some animals <laughs> whose mouth and anus are on about the same level, yeah. like a dog, for instance, or a cat. Yeah. Maybe he tried to train animals not to sit down because as soon as they sit down, that suddenly gravity <gasps> slides out. You're yeah. right. Dogs don't poo when they're standing up, do they? They exactly. kind of move their bum down. Oh, my they God. Over. Of course they do. It all Guys, makes sense. Maybe yeah. he was right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But he didn't like all of this theoretical stuff. He did. He worked out the distance to the moon to a degree of accuracy of 99.9% using just trigonometry. That is incredible. He's so impressive. And I'm quite surprised that of the, you know, uh, the British space program, that this guy, there's not a big statue of this guy outside. I well, mean, we he don't really, really have that much of a space program. No, we, have, we have one that goes all the way back to the 17th century. And it kind apparently. of ended there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. We've done pretty much something. We have one, we have the, um, have the Prospero satellite. We've got one, one British-made satellite that was launched with the British-made rocket. Everything else has basically been we've given something to someone. Everything or. else is basically chariots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James. At Eggshaped. 
Alex at AlexBell underscore and Chizinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, you can go to our group podcast account, which is at QI Podcast, or you can go to our website, no such thing as a fish.com. We've got all of our previous episodes up there. And you can also go to our other website, which is no such thing as thenews.com. That has all of our previous TV show episodes, which is just finished. It's not out anymore. And if you're missing it, that's where all the episodes are. Okay, we will be back again next week with another show. We'll see you then. Goodbye. <laughs>